Good morning. Faith CRC and Roseland CRC. It certainly is a blessing to be here uh, this morning. The text is going to come from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, 16 through 20, and that is the story of the Great Commission. And starting with verse 16, it says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your revelation to us, Lord God. And we thank you for the promise that you have given us, including the promise that you will be with us always. We thank you that you have chosen us, Lord, to send us forward to make disciples and to build your church, Lord God. And uh, we take comfort in the fact that your Holy Spirit is right there with us, uh, leading us and guiding us in all wisdom and reminding us of your teaching, Lord. We thank you for these things and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So here we are in this, uh, this the season of Lent. This is the third Sunday in the season of Lent, which makes the story of the Great Commission a, a, a little out of place here. It's a bit premature, but nevertheless, it fits with the, the theme of Mission Emphasis Week here at Faith CRC. The passage of scripture is Matthew's account of the Lord's final instructions to his disciples before leaving this earth. It's clear to see that even after Jesus completed his mission here on earth, that there was a little, uh, uh, the, the disciples were a little unclear on what it is that he came to do. For instance, one disciple even asked, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? He, he was still waiting for Jesus to pull off a military victory and, and shake off Roman oppression and, and restore the kingdom to Israel. Can, can you even believe that? When I was a little kid, I often, I often said to my mother, man, I wish I could have walked back in, in the times of Jesus. Then I'd have him right there and I could just go and ask him. But apparently the people who were there back then, they didn't understand either. Uh, if we look at verse 17, we see that they didn't know uh, quite how to react to Jesus uh, after his resurrection. Uh, and it's worth noting that the, the Greek word translated there in verse 17 as doubt suggests hesitancy rather than disbelief. It's the same word that Jesus used when Peter uh, failed to walk on the water and he, he grabbed him, he pulled him up and said, why did you doubt? It, it's more so, you know, why did you hesitate? So anyway, picture the disciples in a state of shock and maybe a bit confused after the resurrection. Uh, maybe they didn't even know if they should be worshiping him. Is, is he man or is he God? 
we don't have a precedence for this situation. But the heart of the matter is, in this story, the, the enormity of the task that Jesus is giving his disciples to accomplish. He's given them an enormous task. Jesus has done his part. Now, his mission was not easy, not by a long shot, but it was complete. And it would be up to the 11, who would eventually become the 12, once they added Paul, that would work to continue to building up, uh, the building up of the church, work that would continue to this very day. The command was to go and make disciples of all nations. In Matthew 15, we see one of those stories where we find Jesus saying something that you might have difficulty understanding. Uh, uh, it's called the hard sayings. And I'm not going to go into an explanation of that right now, but there's one tidbit of truth there that's relevant to what we're talking about today. In verse 24, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus preached to the lost sheep of Israel, and he gave them miracles and signs and wonders. And, and he even gave them, in, in a sense, he gave them a front row seat to the greatest miracle of all, his resurrection. But he gave the disciples a more daunting task than preaching to all of Israel. They were to make disciples of all nations. In Acts, we meet, read a more detailed description they were to bring the gospel to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Can you imagine that? Jesus only preached in the, in the, in the area of Israel, but they were to go far beyond that. They were to, to branch out. And can, can you imagine the objections uh, that they might have raised at that time if, if, if you can... Uh, Take license to use a little bit of your imagination and, and, and picture what they might have said at that time. But Lord, they are an unclean people. And Jesus said, but go. Say it with me. When, when I point to you, I want you to say go. But Lord, they sacrificed their children. But, go. but Lord, they worship idols. But Lord, they are a murderous and vengeful people. Not only were they to go and bring the gospel to these people, they were supposed to make disciples of them. You see, this wasn't a mission to just go hand out some Bible tracts on a bus. This wasn't a, a, a mission to corner somebody on a, on, a, on a bus stop or stop somebody walking down the street and ask them, do you know Jesus, and, and, and say, well, pray this prayer with me. No. Their mission was to go and make disciples of them. They were to teach them everything that Jesus taught them about how to live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, anyone who works in ministry knows it is hard getting Christian people to act right, isn't it? Come on, we can tell the truth in here. Now, imagine trying to make disciples out of the people outside of Israel. Here's what I mean. At least the people in Israel, they had a basis for what the, what the, the apostles were about to teach them or what Jesus uh, taught them. They had some basis because they had the law, right? 
they had, they had the books of the law. They had the, the, the Ten Commandments. And, and those things showed them what God required. And it was a mirror, right? It was a mirror that showed them that they could, that it showed them their, their true selves and it showed them that they could not live up to the expectations that God had on their own. You get what I'm saying? So they had all these things. So they had a basis to, with which to realize that they needed a savior. So the apostles were being sent to nations that didn't have that basis. Those people were probably asking questions like, what do you mean don't kill? How else am I supposed to get his stuff? <laughs> that makes no sense. But even so, Jesus gave the apostles the task of making disciples to all nations, and it didn't matter if they looked different or spoke different. It didn't matter if they worshipped other gods. or It didn't matter if they worshipped no god at all. Jesus simply said, go and make disciples. Now, if we look at ourselves in this present day, we can see the results of the work of the apostles, right? Here's what I mean. Unless you can trace your roots back to Israel, you are of Gentile heritage. Is that news to you? Your lineage probably comes from those nations that were beyond Israel, even beyond Judea and Samaria and the rest. We are all part of the church of our Lord because of the work of the first disciples who became apostles, and they made disciples who made disciples, who also made disciples, and so on, and so on, and so on. It's kind of like that commercial from the 70s. You all remember that. I can't be the only person old enough to remember that in here. <laughs> the point I'm trying to get across is that the work is not finished. Just as the apostles were sent out into the world with a charge to make disciples and thereby build the church, so are we. Amen? Just as the early Christians were sent out into the world to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, so are we. Amen? In some ways, the challenges are different, but really they aren't. You know, we still see in this time, just like they saw in that time, we, we see greed and oppression. We see abuse of power immorality, idolatry, you name it. We even see the worship of man, right? Isn't that what atheism is? When you, when you take God out of the picture, who, who takes his place? Right? If God is not God, then man is God, right? Mankind. So we see the same things that they saw back then. Oh, it may look a little bit different. It might be dressed up a little bit different. But we see the same situations that they saw. The challenges are different in the sense that there are less places on earth where the gospel has never been preached. It's even kind of hard for us to imagine somewhere that has not heard the gospel. But the attitudes and systems of thinking that are enemies of the gospel are still the same. So, why should we put forth the effort? Why bother? I can give you the best reason, and I pray that you already know the best reason. 
The biggest reason that we ought to spread the gospel and build up the church is why? Because Jesus said so, right? That's a pretty good reason to do anything, isn't it? While reading, reading the book, What is the Great Commission?, by the late Dr. R.C. Sproul, a particular passage jumped out at me, and it was in a section that explored why the modern church would ask the ridiculous question, why should the church engage in evangelism today? And, and in this passage, he talks about the difference between evangelism and witnessing, two different things. And I'm, I'm quoting here from the book. He says, he, Jesus, gives them a mandate you will be my witnesses. Often people use the verb to witness interchangeably with the verb to evangelize. I'm still quoting from the book. As if the two words were synonyms, but these terms do not mean the same thing in the New Testament. Though they are certainly intimately and inseparably related, in the New Testament, witnessing is a generic word that encompasses different kinds of ways of communicating the gospel, and one of these ways is evangelism. Therefore, all evangelism is witness, but not all witness is evangelism. Evangelism is a special kind of witness. To bear witness to something, according to the New Testament, is to call attention to it. The word for witness in Greek is Martyria, from which we get the English word martyr. New Testament Christians understood that one way that they called attention to the truth of Christ, one way they sought to make visible the invisible kingdom of God, that is to bear witness to it, was by dying for it. They made manifest something that was invisible to their unbelieving neighbors. It's the end of the quote there. Part of making disciples is evangelizing or evangelizing or presenting the gospel in the oral or written form. The other part of making disciples is witnessing. And I wonder if the church today is up for the challenge of being a living witness all the way up to the point of dying for the cause. In June of 1963, the late Dr. Martin Luther King gave a speech at the Great March on Detroit, and he talked about the effectiveness and the principles of nonviolent resistance. And how he talked about how the protesters would have to behave in the face of danger. And one of the things that he said was this. He said, and I quote, and even if he tries to kill you, he can't kill you. You'll develop the inner conviction that there are some things so dear, something so precious, something so eternally true that they are worth dying for. And I would like to ask the church today, you who are under the sound of my voice, is our truth the gospel truth? Is it so dear to us that we would model the behavior of Christ and be willing to stare death in the face for the sake of it? 
Would we, would we be willing to sacrifice our comforts even? Let, 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 let's, let's reel it back in a little bit. Would we be willing to sacrifice our comforts for the sake of it? For the sake of making disciples and building up the church? What, what about uh, 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 forsaking our, our own rights? Maybe we have the right to do something, but maybe it's, it's not uh, profitable for the building up of the kingdom. Will we give up that right? Are we willing to die to self for the sake of the kingdom? Or do we cling to our rights, even when exercising those rights will alienate others and push them away from the faith? I'm going to say something from my own personal experience. As a, an African-American man, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who does, I quite often get the question, how, how can you participate in that white man's religion? But I say that to say this. Often, as the conversation goes on, they will bring up some, some attitudes and some actions of people that put them off and say, if those people act like that, I can't be part of it. It doesn't make sense to me. And I don't know why you would want to be part of it. I've been called all sorts of things for being a Christian. So maybe you have the right to do certain things, but if you know that those things would be alienating people from outside, would you be willing to give up those rights? Are you with me? Jesus commands us to go and make disciples even when it's hard. He commands us to go to places where we might not be welcome with open arms. And he commands us to go there and evangelize and witness with our mouths and our lives. Listen, Jesus, he condemned the Pharisees. He said, you go over land and sea to, to make one convert. He said that, didn't he? He didn't condemn them, though, because they went over land and sea to win a convert. He condemned them because their lives didn't bear witness to what they thought that they were trying to teach. Now, there is good news. Jesus commanded his disciples to go, but they didn't have to go on their own authority. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, go. In other words, he was saying something like, my resurrection was the last piece of the puzzle and the plan of salvation. I officially have the authority, now go. He was saying something like, by laying down my life, there is now salvation for those outside of Israel. Now go. He's saying, remember when I told you that you will do greater things than me? It's time. Now go. He didn't just send them out to, to, to teach a lesson without a lesson plan either, right? Do I have any teachers in the room? How many teachers? No educators in the room? Okay, we got a few. Praise God for you. Would you try to teach a whole year without some sort of a lesson plan? 
you have to follow a lesson plan, don't you? Well, Jesus didn't send them out without some sort of a lesson plan. He said, therefore, go and make disciples. And, and what else did he say? Further down, he says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, you might ask, how could they remember the entirety of Jesus' teachings? We struggle remembering all of it, and, and we have it written down in this book. You might ask, how could they remember that? Well, uh, 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 an answer to that question is in John 14, verse 26. It reads, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The disciples had the Holy Spirit to remind them of Jesus' teaching. You see, Jesus never abandons us or leaves us to our own flawed devices. That's why when we go off the reservation, when we go outside of this world and we start making speculations, we can mess up and we can push people away. We can alienate folk. Amen? When we start twisting scripture to mean what, what favors us and what makes us happy. And, 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 and I see it everywhere. When we do that, we can alienate people, and it's not good for the building up of the church. But Jesus doesn't abandon us, and he doesn't leave us to our own flawed devices. He gives us the written word, and he gives us the Holy Spirit. And he provides the power and the plan for building up the kingdom of God. Not us. It's not by our authority that we go. It is by Jesus' authority. If I stood here and I spoke to you on my own authority, heaven help you. Each one of the apostles uh, besides John are reported to have been martyred or at least met a violent end while spreading the gospel and while making disciples. I would imagine most people wouldn't know anyone killed violently as a direct result of their faith. I can think of one story, I didn't know him personally, but there was one pastor who was killed right on the parking lot of Roseland Christian Ministries on a Sunday. Most people here in America probably won't face death because of their faith. Not everyone, though, is called to face such danger. Not everyone is called to go into exotic lands and, and, and preach to people who are uh, uh, totally hostile to the word of God. Not everyone is called to go to some remote place and live in a grass hut among primitive people and poisonous snakes and lions and so forth for the sake of the gospel. I don't know, uh, I know Ray, where's Ray? Where you at, Ray? You didn't see any lions in Africa, did you? God knows the ones to whom he has given the talent to go into places like that. But even so, the church in the modern day America is still on the hook for making disciples. Did you know that? It's still our task. 
It's nice to know that we enjoy the same assurances in the Christian church here in America that the apostles did. Jesus still holds the same authority that he did back then. And it is by that same authority that he sends us forth into, say, the tougher neighborhoods of Chicago or other, other urban areas where the enemy seems to have a stranglehood, stranglehold. It is by that same authority that we can go into those places and maybe mentor to a child who needs a father or a mother figure. It's by that same authority, the authority of the one who has all authority, that we can go into the broken school system and offer the benefit of our experience tutoring children left behind by a society that favors building prisons over funding schools. And when we boldly step out of our comfort zones, that, that's all of us, when we boldly step outside of our comfort zones and expose ourselves to trouble, because of the gospel or for the sake of the gospel and because the gospel is so wonderful to us somebody somewhere is watching it could be your child it could be a child you hardly know you're giving part of yourself up and thereby witnessing the gospel to somebody someone who's paying attention to you and you may not even see it but they see you giving of yourself and serving and maybe going way out of your way. And you know what? When that happens, you are part of the process of making disciples. Amen? The wonderful part of that is knowing that you don't have to fear messing up. You don't have to fear the neighborhood that you go to work in. You don't have to fear that school that you're walking into. You don't have to fear walking alongside somebody who maybe has a drug problem or, or maybe they need a little help. You don't have to fear those things because Christ is always with you. You don't have to fear failing even because Christ is with you always, even to the end of the age. There was a song I grew up hearing by Stevie Wonder, and I always thought the name of it was Always, because he says it over and over again in a song, but that's not the name of the song. But the point is, he, he's, he's, he's singing this love song, and he's talking, he says, I'll be loving you always. And he talks about some of the, 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 he tries to drive home the point of what always means. And he says things like, I'll be loving you until the day that eight times eight times eight is four. That'll never happen. <laughs> he said, I'll be loving you until the rainbow burns the stars out in the sky. I'll be loving you until the earth starts turning right to left. He says, I'll be loving you always. And I just want to put emphasis on the word always here. In our darkest hour, Jesus is always with us. In the toughest situations, Jesus is always with us. He says, I will be with you until the end of the age. So as we go forth and we go about the work of, of making disciples, 
However God has given us the talent to do that, whether it be, be, be serving in a, in a, in a, a food pantry or, or, or bringing lunch to the homeless, whether it be going into a, 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 a heroin addiction center and, and discipling to somebody and walking alongside them as they get clean, whatever it is that you do, even if it's just, just you know, mentoring a child down the street and just giving them a, a friendly adult face, you know, maybe, maybe there's trouble at home and, and he doesn't see a friendly adult face. All of that is part of making disciples and we are on the hook for making disciples. We are called to participate in the building up of the church, amen? And the good news is that as we do that, we don't have to fear failing because Christ will be with us always. Amen? Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the knowledge that you are with us always. Lord, we thank you for the word that you brought to us today. And we thank you for constantly revealing yourself to us, Lord God. We thank you for the opportunity to make disciples, Lord God. And we thank you that we don't do it under our own power, Lord, because we just mess it up if it were up to us. We do and say things and, and, and we think about our own motives, Lord God, but we don't have to fear failing because you are with us. And you would be with us until the end of the age. So we praise you, we glorify you, and we honor you. And we lean on you, Lord God, and not ourselves as we go forth and continue this very important work that you have sent us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.